Today's scripture reading comes from various passages in Exodus verses 5 through 10. Chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert, but until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worship, in worshiping the Lord our God, and until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. This is the word of God. We are currently going through our summer sermon series, the Bible we thought we knew. And uh, essentially, the main point of the sermon series is to highlight some of the more well-known Bible passages uh, we have grown up with. Either if you're churched or not church, you probably heard many of these stories and the goal of our sermon series is to kind of highlight those stories again as we view it within the light of the gospel, how that shapes us, how that kind of changes the way we do relationship, and how it allows us to be missional within our city. I'm going to ask that y'all will join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the word. Lord God, we come before you. We are so in awe of you, your majesty. All praise to the God who is able. And God, at this time, Lord, um, we pray, we ask, Lord God, that you will open um, our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear your word clearly, Lord God. 
that even right now that you'll convict us of our sin, of our suffering, of the brokenness that surrounds us. Lord God, that we may hear your voice just a little more clearly through the words that are being read right now. Lord God, I ask that you will use me. Lord God, you know my heart. You know my weaknesses. You know my anxieties. You know my sin. And so, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you will show me grace, that you will cover me, Lord God, that you will, Lord, flood me with your love and your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you may be preached, Lord God, that you will be glorified and you will be honored. Lord God, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands, so may you use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you, we love you, we honor you. And in your son's name we pray, amen. Whenever a book is adapted into a film, it's never as good as the actual book. Hollywood's depiction of popular books are often missing the mark. You can ask any Harry Potter fan and they will be inclined to agree. Now, one in particular that I'm referring to is the Exodus story we find in Scripture. See, it's in these movies about the Exodus story where we have this Moses figure played by a Charlton Heston and even a Christian Bell, and it seems to always emphasize this protagonist hero figure, Moses, against the evil role, the antagonist Pharaoh. Even for younger children, you have the DreamWorks animated film, The Prince of Egypt, which showcases the greatness of the numerous miracles and works of Moses against Pharaoh. And these are good films. I enjoy them. I even enjoyed the one with Christian Bale. And they highlight certain truths. There's some reality to these films. But in some shape or form, ultimately, these films have all missed the main point. See, the main purpose of the plagues was not the way Hollywood depicted with heroes and villains. The purpose of the plagues is not to showcase the terrible things that happen when you don't believe and the blessings that will be given when you do believe. The plagues are a story of creation, sin, and a redemption found in the foretelling of a true and better Moses. So this morning, I have three points about the plagues as we go through the select passages in the book of Exodus. The three points this morning are the purpose of the plagues, the chaos from the plagues, and the renewal from the plagues. The purpose, the chaos, and the renewal. The first point, the purpose. Now, the story of Exodus, it begins with the life of Moses. Moses is one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament, and he was chosen to bring redemption to his people. Now, what's interesting is that even Moses himself 
went through some unraveling and hardship in his life. See, as Moses, he grows into adulthood, he begins to empathize with the oppression of his people. And as he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, Moses would intervene and he would kill the Egyptian. See, by committing murder, he had this huge detour in his life. But it's actually in this detour he would be found by the grace of God. And it does prove the point that you're not called because you are qualified, but qualified because you are called. And God does call Moses to return back to Egypt God calls Moses to lead the Israelites from captivity to the promised land. And Moses does so by confronting of one named Pharaoh. Who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a brutal dictator overseeing the abuse and oppression of the Israelites. Some historians would say that it was over 1.5 million Israelites that were enslaved for an estimated 400 years. And when Moses confronts Pharaoh, as the famous saying we've all heard, let my people go, it's clear that Pharaoh would not listen. Exodus chapter 5 verse 2 says, Who is the Lord that I shall obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. See, it is clear. Pharaoh would not acknowledge the God of Israel, and he will continue to enslave the people of God. But why? See, in the book of Exodus, it's stated at least 19 times that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. See, Pharaoh's love for power status, and kingship allowed his heart to be hardened despite Moses' request for God's people to be freed. But just like Pharaoh, if you and I can be a little bit honest, we also often deal with a hardened heart. Our hearts get hardened due to our own desires to reign as kings over our own kingdoms, our selfish desires for the world's offering of success, sex, and status entraps us to a state of slavery to those very desires. In our sin, we innately crave what we see, and it corrodes our hearts when we don't receive it. And the question remains for us, just as Pharaoh was unwilling to let go of his kingship, what is the one thing in your life you have a difficult time of letting go? What is the one thing that you overly value to the point of slavery? Is it a relationship? Is it your career? Is it status? Is it money? And in this process of obtaining or maintaining it, has it made your heart hardened because you are overworking for it or you're just never getting it? See, you and I, everyone in this room, 
we're constantly aiming for something. And when we don't get it, when we don't have enough of it, it makes our hearts get a little hardened. It makes us a little bit tired. It makes us a little bit angry, a little bit bitter. In other words, the mind wanders, the soul becomes calloused, the heart gets hardened. So how does God intervene for a hardened heart? Chapter 7, verse 14 and 16, read with me. Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that you may worship me in the wilderness. Take your hand, in your hand, the staff that was changed into a snake is interesting. See, in ancient times, snakes represented power. It represented Egyptian power. So for Aaron's staff to turn into a snake is nothing less than a direct challenge to Pharaoh's power. Moses is confronting Pharaoh with a boldness and a courage that Christians often lack today, especially towards the worldly desires that enslave our souls and harden our hearts. So what does this tell us? It tells us this. It tells us the purpose of the plagues. The purpose of the plagues were specifically designed to confront Pharaoh's authority. The purpose of the plagues were to awaken Pharaoh's heart. And in the same way, plagues are specifically designed in your life to reveal the plagues of your soul. Plagues exist to reveal the hardness of your heart. Plagues are created to wake us up from our death to sin. If I could say it this way, you know, we tend to always just blame the circumstances in life, but we often forget that these are actually opportunities to trust God more through the circumstance. We forget that that it's in these seasons of difficult times and we all go through it, someone will tell you that you're either in season or you're getting ready for one. But it's in these difficult times that allows us to actually be shaped in a way where repentance is deeper and the words of Scripture become more relevant and His grace becomes greater. I mean, if I'm honest, I even dealt with this last night. Last night, as I'm trying to prepare for this very word, I was confronted with some circumstances, some plagues, if you will. Last night, as I'm preparing this word, all of these surrounding circumstances just kind of got in the way. I remember as I'm, last night, as I'm preparing for the word, I have my family getting into an argument I can't concentrate anymore. A few minutes later, I have a neighbor across the street from me asking me to do something. I have my little baby dog being a little diva and really just being annoying in the moment. 
all of a sudden I'm not feeling too well, and all of a sudden I'm just not able to concentrate. And I remember even in that very moment as I'm trying to sermon prep, I started to get angry. I started to get a little stirred up. I started to blame the circumstances. I started to get a little bit broken. I started to get a little bit more anxious because now in the moment I'm not feeling as confident because now there's a lack of sermon prep. But I don't know what it is about plagues from the outside. By the grace of God, it's these plagues that speak to the plagues of your heart. Because for some reason, and by God's grace, it was in that moment that I realized that the plagues of my heart was much deeper. See, rather than the circumstance, I was really more broken the fact that I had this love and this idolatry for ministry success. In the moment, I became to realize how enslaved and how consumed I was of making sure that I preached a good word. But it was in that very moment of brokenness and conviction, realizing that ministry trumped the presence of God he revealed to me the plagues of my heart. See, there may be some plagues in your life right now, but rather than looking at the circumstance, would you consider them to allow them to reveal your heart, to come in repentance rather than corrode in bitterness and self-deception? See, the purpose of the plagues were to disrupt the plans of Pharaoh and to awaken his hardened heart. And they most certainly would do the same for you and I. Those are the purposes of the plagues. And it leads us to the second point, the chaos. Read verse 17 with me. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. Now, the first plague that we begin to see here is the striking of the Nile River, and it's now labeled as the plague of blood. The question is, why is this the first plague? Well, many scholars and commentaries, they state that the Nile itself was personified and worshipped as a god in Egypt. So an attack on the Nile River is in effect an attack of Egypt's gods. Verse 18 sheds a little bit of light into this. Verse 18 says that the fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So the question is, what was the Nile River to the Egyptians? Well, it was God in some way. But Egypt's greatness as a civilization was dependent on the Nile River. The Nile River was a source of life. It was a source of income and commerce. And now God turns this Nile River into blood. It was death unto a thriving civilization. It was security unto insecurity, prosperity unto poverty, flourishing into abandonment. 
Now, what's interesting is this, is that most of the plagues that follow actually stems from the plague of blood, meaning that this first plague, it naturally leads to the remaining plagues. It's a natural progression. Allow me to explain. What do we see in the first plague? That denial uh, becomes blood, so now it becomes uninhabitable. So now the frogs that live in denial, they start to come out. And now you have the plague of frogs, which is the second plague. And now because of these frogs, they rot onto the streets. So you now have the third and fourth plague. Now you see the gnats and the flies. And now because you have the gnats and the flies, you then have the fifth and sixth plague, which becomes an epidemic sweeping the livestock. And it creeps and spreads, suffers from boils. And then you have the seventh through the ninth plague. You now have hailstorms, locusts, and eventually darkness. See, the plagues were natural disasters, and they naturally resulted from the very first plague. See, for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, life became unraveled unto pure chaos, and it was because of a hardened heart. It was because Pharaoh was rebellious. It was because Pharaoh was unwilling to submit. And it led to the first plague. It led to corrosion. It slowly led to chaos. See, scholars always try to argue of how natural or supernatural these plagues actually were. But I would go besides that point to simply state that these supernatural plagues are a natural breakdown of God's design for us. And so it is with life. Chaos without awakening always leads to darkness. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 and 23 says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hands towards the sky, so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone or move about for three days. See, you fast forward into these plagues. We go to the second to the last plague. And just before this climatic tenth plague, God now turns the entire land into darkness. See, the plagues are not just random acts of God's judgment. Rather, what God is beginning to do is God is strategic. He's creative. His plan is perfect. And what he begins to do is that he undo, undoes the creation account we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. See, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that God will take the light, the sun, the moon, the land, and the sky, and he kind of makes it into oneness. But what do we see in the plagues? In the book of Exodus, we now see darkness and disorder. We see more chaos, meaning it's the reversal of the creation account. The plagues are a reverting back to chaos. It's a reverting back to darkness. It's reverting back to lifelessness and death. 
So what does that mean for you and I, beloved? It means this. Disobedience to God will create natural consequences. For you are not living accordingly to the design you were created for. And it's because of this you begin to fall into darkness and a life of chaos. Allow me to explain. If I'm honest with you guys, church, if this is a place, safe place, you know, we all wrestle with idolatry and addiction. And one for me is caffeine, specifically coffee. Even at this moment, I'm riding off of two cold brews. Now, this was not always the case. It probably happened within the last five years. See, as I got more busy, more stressed, I got more tired. And at the same time, as you get older, you realize you have less and less time. So what I began to do is I overcompensated my fatigue and my weakness, and I started to take more coffee. I started to intake more and more. And as the years started to go by, I found myself drinking more and more coffee. I started to spend a lot more money. And now the coffee is just getting a little bit deeper. But see, as I'm intaking more of this caffeine, it's actually worsening the actual state of my body. Because now more and more is affecting my heart, and now I'm getting a lack of sleep I'm intaking more junk that is actually killing my heart. It's slowly taking a toll on my body. So please don't judge me when I have a cup of cold brew immediately after service. The point is this. My addiction stemmed from a rebellion and an attitude that I I needed to work more. My addiction essentially stemmed from a rebellious heart going against what I was naturally designed for, rest. See, in the same way, the plagues are a natural breaking down of the very fabric of creation, and it leads to darkness and chaos, but it always leads from a hardened heart. If I can say this uh, just on a side note, this is why repentance in prayer and counsel and community is so important. See, you and I were only one step away from falling into darkness. So come towards Christ in the midst of your chaos before you actually fall into it. So in this reverting back to darkness where death is upon us, the question is, Where does our hope come from? It leads us to the third point, the renewal. Read verse 27 and 29 with me. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Moses 
And his final statement makes clear and forewarns of the tenth and final plague to come. See, there's going to be one more plague after this plague of darkness, and it's the death of all the Egyptian firstborns. But it's actually because of this plague, there will eventually be freedom amongst God's chosen people as the plague would actually pass over the Israelites, what we know as the Passover. And just as Moses was the one that helped save the Israelites from this darkness, who is that for us today? In other words, who will bring us light unto our darkness? Well, centuries later, there will be an ultimate plague, and it will lead to the death of the one and only firstborn. There will be a greater king than Pharaoh. There will be a greater prophet than Moses. There will be one greater than all of the prophets, priests, and kings that perform the greatest miracles. The one that is greater will heal the wound, and he will cleanse the unclean. And this one that is greater does not arrive with a plague to give you chaos and darkness, the great I am arrives to absorb the greatest amount of chaos and darkness through the greatest plague on the cross. Jesus Christ suffered the ultimate plague. He suffered and absorbed the full wrath of God so that you and I can be healed, we can be restored, and there is renewal. Jesus Christ suffered the plagues of judgment so that you and I can be redeemed. And just as Moses and the plagues was a reversal creation for the sake of freedom for the Israelites, the resurrection of Christ is the ultimate creation reversal for our freedom. His death becomes our victory. Darkness is in exchange for light. Chaos is in exchange for order. The plagues were sent from God to unravel the brokenness of the world, the injustice of our society, and for ultimate freedom, all through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, yes, there are plagues. Yes, there is immeasurable amounts of chaos in your life. And yes, some of us may even be in darkness, but know that in faith alone and grace alone and in Christ alone, no plague will destroy you, for he has absorbed it, and it was once and for all. I'll conclude with this, and I'll be out your way. What does the plague narrative teach you and I today? What does it teach us at the moment? What's the right now application? I'm not trying to make it simple, but simply to say that a life of faith in the midst of chaos and darkness is what we're called to do. That the plague narrative simply teach that we're called to live in faith and not by work. Allow me to explain. 
I recently saw this video um, a few days ago, and it's about this elderly man. And what he does is he creates these sand labyrinths on the Oregon sand beaches during his spare time. A labyrinth, what it is, is essentially is just a winding, a circular, singular path leading to a center. center. And, and the purpose of these sand labyrinths is for people to walk in them and to, uh, as you walk through them, the goal is for this level of peace and to reduce the level of anxiety. So, th- so this man, he, every day he creates this kind of labyrinth just so people can go through it to experience peace, to reduce levels of anxiety. And as this man is talking about his beautifully crafted sand labyrinths, he makes it clear that these labyrinths are not mazes. He says that they're different from mazes. He states that there are no wrong turns. All you have to do is follow the path and you will get there. And plus, he creates these sand labyrinths with the understanding that they're going to eventually disappear with the tides. In his own words, the oceans will reclaim it. In Christ alone, our design is simply to follow. Life in the gospel is not meant to be in an apostle maze of dead ends. Life in the gospel is simply a labyrinth. Yes, there may be chaos. Yes, there may be difficulty. Yes, there may be darkness. But in Christ alone, that path is actually very clear. And just as the oceans reclaim these sand labyrinths, there will be a day when God comes and there there will be a reversal to once again reclaim creation. In Christ, we will be reclaimed with the Father because Jesus Christ absorbed the ultimate plague that we deserved. As we respond this morning, may we be reminded of our call to not work, but faith in Christ alone, that in him there is light, within your darkness. In him, there is order in your chaos. Will you join me in prayer this morning?